Welcome to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. Sheffield is a city in South Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This podcast features conversational interviews with owners or managers of a unique selection of businesses, charities, and other enterprises in Sheffield. This podcast is brought to you by Excel City Apartments, a brand founded in Sheffield that provides business travelers and leisure visitors with fully furnished, safe, and comfortable self-catering accommodation when they're in Sheffield or visiting the nearby Peak District National Park. And now, let's meet today's guest. Hello, and welcome to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. I'm Veronica Bruins, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Rene Mayer. Rene is the CEO at Foodworks Sheffield, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Rene. Thank you, Veronica. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our chat. Brilliant. So let's get started immediately with finding out a little more about you, as well as Foodworks Sheffield. So please, do introduce yourself. Tell us about Foodworks Sheffield, and more importantly, your role as the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer. Yeah, so um, Foodbrook Sheffield has been around for about eight and a half years now, and we're here to try and build a more fair and sustainable food system for everyone in Sheffield. Um, when we were founded, we had a different name, the Real Junk Food Project Sheffield, um, and then we changed name to Foodworks uh, about five years ago, I think. Um, so I was I was one of the co-founders uh, eight and a half years ago um, that started sort of on a voluntary basis and then over time morphed into me moving into more of a finance director position and eventually also about five years ago taking up the sort of the helm, I guess, as CEO. Um, I'm not sure exactly what to say about the role as CEO, to be honest. I think it's it's over. Um, I have the privilege, I think, of being the face of something that really is the accomplishment of many, many people. And I, I don't really like to uh, make something, I don't know, exceptional of my role. It's one of many, um, but it's one that I very much enjoy. Brilliant. Well, that is a positive start. In fact, I hadn't realized there was a previous name to Foodworks. So can you just give us an insight into the story behind that, the history? Why did people get together? Because you're not only a CEO, but you're actually one of the co-founders. So why did you get together with others to start that initiative around junk food? And what does that mean in the context of what you do now? Sure. Yeah, so... um yeah, so the, the idea of, of, I guess, reusing surplus food is, is not new. And ultimately, obviously, there's very little new under the sun. Everything is inspired by something else, right? Um, so the first, what was at the time, the Real Junk Food Project was set up in Leeds by a chef called Adam Smith. And he was inspired by his travels through Australia as a chef, where he A, saw lots of food waste, just generally as his in a chefing role. But he also came across an organization in Australia called Lentil as Anything, who were already cooking a lot with surplus and making that food available on the basis of flexible contributions. 
So that inspired him to set something similar up in the UK, go back home and sort of make a difference. So he set up um, a cafe in Armley in Leeds, call it the Real Junk Food Project, a sort of a, a bit of a pun name, I suppose. Um, and that got a lot of traction. Adam was a very inspirational sort of speaker and he got lots of people involved in this, uh, you know, simple idea of let's not throw food away and destroy environment, but actually feed people. It's a really straightforward concept, so everyone can relate to that. And so that got a lot of traction. Um, so that was, I think, in two, uh, December 2013. And a year and a bit after that, my partner at the time, Joe Hertzberg, um, was looking for a change in her career. She came across this project Adam had founded and uh, thought, oh, it might be something like that in Sheffield and maybe I'll get involved in that. Um, after a bit of searching, it turned out actually there wasn't something like that in Sheffield. And so um, we made a joint decision um, that she would quit her job and we would make some space for her to sort of kickstart that and see where we went with it. So really most of the, the driving energy behind that in the beginning was, was Joe's. She, she was the, the ultimate founder. Uh, but I was obviously along for the ride, I guess, partially because... It was something that I thought was really interesting, but also obviously as a, as a supportive partner, I suppose. So I was on paper, one of the directors, and I volunteered a lot of my time. Um, so that's sort of how we got started as the Real Junk Food Project Sheffield and one of many junk food projects across across uh, the UK. And then over time, that just morphed into other things. So on the one hand, for us, I think we we increasingly felt strongly about needing our own identity because we got increasingly, I guess, clear ideas of exactly what we were about and what we weren't about and wanting to have a clear independent brand that we owned and controlled and a story linked to Sheffield that we could tell together with the people in Sheffield. So we rebranded as Foodworks. But in that period also, like when it very much started out as a campaign, and Joe's background was in, in sort of marketing and campaigning. It was this thing she was good at and enjoyed. It sort of grew into, well, you know, quite a substantial organization, certainly in terms of volunteer numbers. And it it became more of a, a management job to run that rather than a campaign, a marketing job. And so that wasn't actually really the, the main thing Joe was after. And I actually increasingly enjoyed sort of organizing all of this and bringing it together. So we sort of slowly, I guess, swapped out a bit in terms of who, who took a lead role just because the nature of the organization and what it needed changed. Um, and so after a couple of years, then, um, yeah, I ended up as, as a CEO. Um, and, and Joe took a step back partially because, because you know, what was needed changed. But also those first couple of years, which is like with, with any new organization, like it was really, really hard work. And, um, yeah, that took its toll. And Joe also just needed a break. So Joe took a step back from actually being involved in the day-to-day. -day. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up here. <laughs> well, what a story, because it shows that those who may have the initial energy to get the launch and to keep it and get it some traction wouldn't necessarily be the ones who continue on the journey, because as organizations change, as you mentioned, you also need to have the appropriate skills and expertise to 
have the momentum to move forward. So quite an interesting story, not only in terms of name change, but in terms of how the organization evolved. And can I just clarify then, Rene, is it a social enterprise that Foodworks is registered as or a charity or something else? Yeah, so we're a social enterprise. So so strictly speaking, in the legal sense, it's a company limited by guarantee with a full asset lock. So we are completely non-for-profit. But we feel very strongly about um, being entrepreneurial in the way that we solve the world's problems. And that sort of agility and entrepreneurial approach, we feel, doesn't really fit very well with sort of a the, the charity governance structures and uh, that are required. So, so we we haven't registered as a charity. We could. We we meet all the criteria, but we feel strongly about sort of keeping that agility and entrepreneurial spirit. Brilliant. Now you've been with Foodworks for over eight years, eight and a half years, and you've given us the story and how your role evolved in terms of CEO. What would you say are some of the main reasons why people choose to volunteer and local communities support the initiative or are interested in having an entity such as Foodworks at this time? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, there's as many reasons probably as there are volunteers in a way, but there's obviously, well, there's obviously some patterns. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I think the, one of the things that we are very lucky with is is that our, our message and our mission is something that everyone can relate to, right? We all we all need to eat, and I think we all can relate to this idea of you know not wasting food and feeding people. It's it's not a controversial concept, uh, uh, sort of a co- controversial idea. We can all agree that it's a good thing, and it's relevant to everybody. It isn't about some particular group or another group. It's about everybody. Um, and so that, you know, immediately gives you a really wide audience. Um, the other thing that is, I think, powerful about what we do is we, we're we a very grassroots practical organization. Now, sure, we want to make big structural changes in the food system, ultimately, but also we are making a massive difference right now. And, you know, you can come into Foodworks and when you go home after your volunteer shift, you know you will have made a difference to someone and a difference you can see from people you have met. And that's really powerful sort of in terms of feedback. You know, you, you know you've spent your time well and hopefully in an enjoyable way. Um, and yeah, that's always given us a big draw. So at the moment, I think we've got probably close to 300 active volunteers, which is fantastic. And without those people, none of this would happen. Yeah, so the disruption is part of the journey as you seek to grow Foodworks. But I'd also say that what you've just said reminded me that you're not based in one location only. In Sheffield, you have different places. I've seen you described as hubs. And they're 17, I think, from what you've had on the information on the website, including some private ones. So working in partnership with others and how the organization has evolved over the past several years, what would you say are some of the key achievements and maybe even some of the memorable moments that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, I well, I mean, just generally, I'm, I'm very proud of the, you know, just, just uh, um, 
the size of the impact we make. Like that Foodworks is not anything that's funded by, you know, some big charitable charitable benefactor or philanthropist or whatever else. It's built by the people in Sheffield. And and all the things we do are funded by the people who come to us as customers to, you know, do a shop or have some food. And so I think what's really powerful about Foodworks, what I'm really proud of is it's it's built by the people in Sheffield. You know, it's it's built by the people in Sheffield and for the people of Sheffield, and we all own it together. And um, and I think that's really quite unique. Um, at the moment, uh, our environmental impact is is similar to uh, you know the, the carbon footprint that we avoid on the planet is similar to a forest of 50,000 trees. So our company is, is the same as 50,000 trees. Um, and, and we provide more than a million meals worth of food into the city uh, at the same time as making this massive environmental impact. Like that, just those numbers for an organization that's that new, that doesn't rely on massive investment, but that's really just floating on all these small contributions from all the people in Sheffield that care about what we do and benefit from what we do. That is really amazing, and um, yeah, that makes me very proud. Um, yeah, that's probably the main thing, to be honest. There, but there'll be a million other ones. A million meals per year, is it? Yeah. So, well, meals worth of food. So, not everything goes out in the form of a meal. Some of it does. So, it's, it's hard to find a relevant metric that sort of captures everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a lot of food. Well, if you're talking food, yes, meals as a useful measure. But in terms of where does this food come from? Because you've, talk, you've been talking about surplus food. Where does this extra food come from? Is it individuals? Is it smaller businesses? Is it larger businesses? And how can people who are actually contributing, they're buying this food at a modest price, what it is that, what do they actually get? Is it a package? Is it they bring their own containers? Give us some insights into the practicalities of acquiring the surplus food and then distributing the surplus food. Yeah, so we have we have lots of different sources of food, but ultimately most of our food is in some way or another a commercial surplus. So uh, when we started, that was mostly last mile from retail outlets like, you know, a local Marks and Spencers or whatever else. And we would go at the end of the day to the back of the store and pick up sort of leftovers a lot of that is stuff that is short-dated or about to expire, although some of it might be surplus for other reasons, like, I don't know, a promotion going out of uh, off the shelves or things like that. Um, over time, that has broadened out to a lot of other different types of surplus, but ultimately it's all commercial surplus. So we pick up from farm gates, we pick up from producers, from wholesalers, distributors, like online retailers like Amazon or Ricardo and their spokes and hubs and things that go surplus there. But so but it, it ultimately amounts around sort of five hundred tons per year of of food that is going surplus. So that's roughly a million meals worth, because no one knows what five hundred tons of food looks like. <laughs> Other than that's probably a lot. Uh, and then what we've started more recently, so they started over lockdown is also to grow some of our own food. That is not in terms of numbers very significant, but it is important to us because if we're not just shouting about the problems of the food system, but actually wanting to build solutions, then ultimately a sustainable food system in Sheffield has to involve more locally grown food. So we grow some of our own food. 
And then we work with individuals and allotment societies and you know, lots of people love growing food and sometimes more food than they need to eat themselves or they have more space that they could use themselves. So we invite people to make use of all that space and go out growing food and whatever they can't eat themselves then also gets used in our kitchens, which the nice thing that is we can also, you know, rather than just feeding people with surplus food, actually we can also democratize this idea of locally grown food, not just being a privilege for the people who are a bit better off than average and who can afford like a nice organic fetch box or something like that, but actually make locally grown food a democratized sort of property that everyone in Sheffield can get access to. But at the moment, that is a lot, you know, in terms of quantity, a lot less than the surplus we pick up. So overall, about 500 tons of food a year. Um, that is mostly just picked up uh, from our warehouse in Hansworth with, uh, three big fans that drive around the city seven days a week to pick this all up. And from there, we try and find the best sort of home for that food. So like where, where does it basically have the most value? Our ideal situation is that it goes to a kitchen because there we can cook with the food, which means we can add nutrition to it. We can lengthen how long it's still good to eat for. We can create social spaces where people can come together and share this food and enjoy it. And that is by far you know, the, the, the best way to use food. So anytime we can cook with food, we try and do it. So we supply at the moment two kitchens with community cafes with all their ingredients. So that's in the Sharrock Community Forum and in the Zest Centre. They will cook big batches of food every day. Some of that will get served out in like a lunch service five days a week. But also those same meals that the ones that aren't served out in the lunch service get topped up and frozen as ready meals. And those ready meals go out all over Sheffield to lots of other organizations. So when you mentioned our hubs, we have we have three hubs. We have our, our location in Hansworth, which is a market and our logistics sort of center. We've got the two kitchens and cafes. Those are sort of our own sites that we run ourselves. And then we have over 20, I think at the moment, sort of community partners that basically act as access points for those uh, frozen ready meals. And, and those are all sorts of organizations. So as you mentioned, some of those are like shops. So there's Old Carrot No Stick, which is a vegan shop on Chesterfield Road. They stock our meals. The Student Union, University of Sheffield stock our meals, but also food banks and churches and community organizations. Um, all the wards in the children's hospital have a freezer and a microwave so that families who spend a lot of time on wards in the children's hospital don't need to go out for a, you know, rubbish, fast food, rare, expensive meal. Actually, they can stay on the ward, pay what they can afford for that ready meal, pop it in the microwave and have a home-cooked, healthy, environmentally friendly, affordable meal right there when they're taking care of their loved ones. So it's all about creating a more caring compassionate food system, whether that's because you're having a rubbish time, because you've got health challenges in the hospital, or whether at the moment maybe economically you can't really afford to buy the food that you would want to buy for your family. It doesn't really matter. Ultimately, the idea is, so all our food is available on the basis of a flexible contribution, and, and we ask that people pay what they can afford. And 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 we our belief is that if everyone if everyone does that, to the best of their ability, then then everyone can take what they need from this, right? It's like a commons. If we all contribute into it what we can, we can all take from it what we need. Um, 
and um, and that takes a lot of work because it's a slightly weird and different way of operating. So it requires a lot of communication and a lot of reinforcement. It's not always straightforward, but it's also really powerful because it means, you know, for for because we don't necessarily just feed people who are say in poverty or some in some other way struggling with their life at the moment. But it's really for everyone, and it also means that if you do happen to have a difficult time right now. You don't necessarily feel like you have a, you know, you are not the problem. You are just still part of normal society. There is no stigma. There is no finger pointing. Like, you know, you come to our cafes like anyone else and we don't ask any questions. And, you know, you're just like there like anyone else. And, and I think that, you know, keeping people as, as part of this one big caring community is really powerful. So, so that's our kitchen operation. Not all our food ends up being used in the kitchen um and so food that we don't end up cooking with then goes out into our market so at the moment it runs from the Hansworth warehouse so uh food that either is quite short lived and we don't have time to get it to our kitchens in time to be used that isn't suitable to be used in the kitchen like i don't know loads of bread or something or that's just basically in terms of quantity surplus to what we can work with in our kitchen it all goes to our market and basically people can do a food shop there so they can pick, um, you know, a number of items for, again, for a flexible contribution, or they can do that multiple times for multiple contributions, but they basically do a food shop and that helps them to help us make an environmental impact because that food doesn't go to landfill and it gives people an affordable shop if they need to. So in the market in Hansworth, we do about probably between 700 and 1,000 food shops per week. Um, oh, that's significant. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, we are we are probably the largest single site in Sheffield in terms of providing accessible food, um, and we're the only one I think that operates seven days a week. So, so our Hansworth warehouse is open three hundred and sixty-two days of the year. Um, yeah, so that a lot, a lot of food goes out there, and our cafes probably do. Uh, probably more like a thousand covers per month or so um, between the two of them. And then on top of that, we will do a couple of probably two, three thousand meals that will go out into Sheffield in the form of ready meals. Brilliant. And thanks for painting that picture, because I think what our listeners will now have is a much clearer idea as to how it actually works. So it's not just surplus food in a vacuum, but how it's managed, how it's processed and actually how the different routes to get to end users across Sheffield. So thank you very much for that, Rennie. And so what I, you've indicated as you've spoken about it, that it's not straightforward and complex. So there are some challenges. And I'd ask if there are any particular ones you or one that you'd like to highlight and maybe any threats that you see in terms of the work that Foodworks is undertaking in Sheffield. Um. Yeah, there's obviously, yeah, there's always a lot of them. I think that the things that are always at the core of sort of what we do, on the one hand of what I mentioned earlier is this sort of this message about if everyone contributes fairly to this shared resource, everyone can take from it fairly. And, you know, that is open to a lot of abuse. If And, and so having that conversation with people about what that means, and at the same, on the one hand, trusting them to do the right thing, 
but also, I don't know, like that. So that's a really complicated thing. And there's obviously a big risk, and we're quite worried, obviously, with the cost of living crisis and all that. Well, if because if every everyone does only contribute the minimum and no more, well, we wouldn't, that, it doesn't work. We'd go bankrupt. <laughs> so we are dependent on some people who can, like, if you can't afford it, by all means, just pay the minimum. That's the whole point. But that only works if some people who can afford to pay more also make that effort. So there's always a, a big risk and it's always something we need to have really active messaging about. But actually, it's been really interesting to see that, that you know, with, with the economics really changing, with the cost of living crisis, for instance, actually, uh, uh, the contributions have remained fairly constant and people really do value that and do really make the effort, which has been fantastic. Um, the other thing that's complicated for us is sort of, I guess, short-term solutions versus long-term solutions. And, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, we feed a lot of people, but also we do that with food that ultimately shouldn't be here, right? Um, the ultimate solution is that food works is not here because the food system is fixed. <laughs> Indeed, which leads to one of the questions I have. But please, please. <laughs> so and and it, it's very it's very easy to carried away with all the good stuff you're doing today, and and as a result, almost institutionalizing what you do, right? And so because now that we are, you could argue, in the business of food waste, if you're not careful, it becomes in your interest. To have food waste. To have food waste, yeah, because isn't it great because we can feed all these people with it and I have a job and all that sort of thing. And that's obviously not right. And so balancing that on the one hand, you know, all the impact you know you're having with this food right now, but also keeping yourself honest about why you're ultimately here, which is, you know, a very different solution that doesn't involve this food waste. That is a real difficult tension to sort of manage. Uh, and, and that's always a massive challenge. And in particular now that there's so much pressure on people struggling economically and all that, there's a real temptation to just go and, you know, yes, let's have more food waste and feed more people and because people are struggling. And But then you just lose sight, sight of the structural solution. And a lot of those short-term solutions, longer term, just make things worse. They don't make things better. So that is always very difficult. Yeah, that, that's quite an important aspect you've highlighted because one of the questions I have, let's say it gets fixed, that you no longer have food wasted in homes or in, by businesses, they don't have the surplus. What then happens to food waste, an organization like food waste? Because it's no longer extra food that you're redistributing, but you then have to be looking, uh, at the, the, the issue becomes something quite different. It's no longer operating under this umbrella of diverting food from landfill sites, ensuring that people have access to nutritious food on a regular basis and that they can maintain their well-being. So it, it's interesting that you've actually recognized and acknowledged that it is one of those tensions within that you need to think about in respect of how do you ensure there is that balance that you're not just sourcing waste of food or food that is wasted in order to have a social enterprise. <laughs> and I'm not by any way suggesting that that was the intention of the founders. No, no, but it's, you know, it's very easy to get carried away in these things and it's, it's usually not intentional at all. But but it is it is very easy to do, and it is one of the reasons. And one of the other reasons we're also growing food now, 
Um, yep. You know, it allows us to diversify our supplies and have a bit more control over our supplies. But it also, like, I do ultimately think that even if the whole structure and system changes in the way that we would like to, there will never be zero surplus because no system is perfectly, um, you know, uh, efficient. There will always be slack and 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 uh, surpluses in the system, but yep. it shouldn't be yep. as much as it is now. And so there's probably yes. always a role for someone to sort of facilitate some redistribution where those inefficiencies pop up. But it definitely shouldn't look like what it currently looks like. And and ultimately, even if it disappears, like I'll be very happy for Foodworks to fall tomorrow if there is no work for us to do. I, I don't see that happening in the short term. Yes. And, and I think it's also the fact that you're shifting into the preparation of the food and the growing of the food. These are additional skills and they're all relevant to food but it's also helping people to understand that even whilst you're growing or when you're growing and, and knowing where your food comes from, it's important that it's prepared in appropriate ways or else you can also lose the benefit of the value or the nutrition and therefore don't get what the body needs. So I, I imagine that that can be a separate conversation or even a separate business. And, and mindful of the fact that we've spent quite a bit of time already talking about Foodworks and uh, much more informed about it. I'd love to hear from you, Renee, now that you have so many years of experience behind you and the journey that you've gone through in Foodworks, what would you have done differently, you and your co-founders? Let's say you were starting now in 2024 instead of when you did over eight years ago. Yeah. It's a real difficult question, I think, um, because obviously we've learned a lot, but at the same time, I probably, you know, we also wouldn't be here if we hadn't done all the things we had done exactly how we did, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> so je ne regrette rien, I think, uh, in, in that regard, because we are in a really good place now when we've made a big difference. But yeah, we've obviously learned quite a bit. I think one of the important things sort of from a, from a business point of view, like, you know, we, we started all of this with a lot of ideals and ideas, but it doesn't mean you understand how you translate that into running a viable organization. And, and so in that respect, I think one of the things we did in the beginning that was that made life very hard for us is to just spread ourselves way too thin. Every possible way in which we might make might make a difference seemed exciting and seemed like a good thing to do and therefore if it's a good thing to do we should do it and we were desperate to make sort of you know from a financial point of view like we needed to build this model that sort of sustained things so we sort of we were just very indiscriminate in in trying loads and loads of different things and it absolutely wore us out and it meant we ended up doing a lot of things but none of them terribly well and and so if I would do that again, I would try to do that with a lot more focus. You know, do a few things really well and and take your time to learn to do them well before you move on to do other things. So focus is a key word. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's a big thing. Um the the other thing I think that we've had to learn over time which I would probably want to spend a bit more time on is really understanding your messaging, right? Like, why are we here? What is your elevator pitch? Because ultimately, nothing we do happens without the support of someone else, whether that is the other organizations we collaborate with and on whose sites we run, 
you know, our cafes or who stock our meals or, or whether it's our customers or our volunteers. But like the question, why food works? Why are you here? What are you doing? And having a concise, clear message about what this is all about. Um, that is incredibly important. Um, and so on the one hand, I think taking the time to articulate that, but also actually maybe being more confident in that. I think when we... You know, being confident in your identity. Like when we started, we thought, well, we know very little about all of this and there's all these established organizations that have done this for a very long time and we should just probably defer to all the things other people are doing first. And I would definitely not do that again because there's a lot to learn from others, but there's also a lot of things. There's a lot of value in also just being confident in yourself and and sometimes trying new solutions, even if other people think it's not the right thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think those, those would probably be a few key, few key things that I would keep in mind if I had to start something like this again. Brilliant. And in terms of the future, you've alluded to some of that in terms of your messaging, but are there particular or specific projects or plans that you have for the rest of this year and beyond that you're able to share with us? And at the same time, can you also say for listeners who would love to get involved, either as volunteers or contributors or as consumers and purchasers of the food, whether fresh or prepared, what are some of the ways or how best to contact you? So the first part of the question is sharing some of the plans that you can in terms of this year and beyond. And then the other part is how can more people reach out to you? Yeah. Um, no, we've got quite a lot of plans. Uh, I mean, how they work out in detail is obviously time will tell, but uh, we've got a lot of plans to grow. They're in a really good position and there's a lot to be done. So uh, we are we are planning to open probably about one other cafe kitchen every year for at least the next three years. Um, we're exploring our options at the moment for where and with whom to do that best. Um, uh, one of those kitchens will likely be uh, more of a production kitchen that is co-located to a warehouse because one of the things that would be really helpful for us is to have the ability that when, say, for instance, you know, three pallets of tomatoes come into our warehouse to instantly have a chef who 20 metres down the road can, you know, roast all of those off and make tomato sauce or whatever else that we can freeze and use in our cafes later. Like having that immediate ability to look at big amounts of stuff coming in and process that would be really, really powerful. So one of those kitchens ideally co-located in um, with our warehouse. Um, we're also at the moment just starting a program which is supported by Sheffield City Council to look at the, the sort of the markets, food market model that we have and grow six pop-up versions of that across the city so that we have the same sort of community pantry type provision in other areas in Sheffield because obviously we're just based in Hansworth and it doesn't necessarily mean that someone in Shire Green or wherever else can easily access that so trying to find a bit more um, uh, six more locations in Sheffield where we can also run a market one day a week um, is also something we'll be doing over the next two years and then we've got a lot of plans to just grow more food so um we're just about to work up a pilot for us to support schools in growing more food because obviously, you know, longer term change is all about reconnecting a next generation with food and where it comes from and, you know, changing their attitudes. 
Lots of food schools want to grow food because they can see the educational value of that. But doing that is hard because it requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of time. And also that the school year is really unsuitable for most growing because most of the things you traditionally grow are all harvested when everyone's on holiday. So you need a slightly different approach to make that work in the academic year. So we're sort of trying to work out a program that we can use to support schools, but also other community organizations to grow food and sort of crowdsource food growing all across the city and to help everyone else grow to grow more food with us. Um, and, 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 and that hopefully also uh, includes us sourcing some land. Uh, we're, we're working with the council at the moment to identify some suitable land and maybe also some old council nurseries to really scale up growing food in Sheffield. Um, so, yeah, lots of plans really on all fronts, uh, the cafes, growing food and, and markets. Um, yeah, and, and so that also means we're always looking for more people to get involved. Like if, if anyone's interested in getting involved in sort of a volunteering type capacity in any way, um, the website uh, foodworks.org um, has a lot of information on that and you can sign up there and someone will be in touch with you within one or two days to check in on how, how we might work with you. Um, or you can email volunteers at thefoodworks.org. Um if you just want to be part of this sort of uh, new food system, I guess, and, you know, come eat in our cafes or shop at our market or attend our bistros, then um, our market's open seven days a week. It's um, it's on Richmond Road behind the big ast on the parkway. So every day between 11 and 3, you're very welcome to come down and do a shop. There's no referrals, no criteria. Anyone's welcome. Um, our current cafes are both um, open five days a week. So during the week from... Uh, nine to three, and that's in the Zest Centre in Upperthorpe or in the Sharrow Community Forum in Sharrow. And again, anyone and everyone welcome all the time. Thank you, Reni. Quite a lot of ambitious plans, and I wish you well with those. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today, and thank you ever so much for being a guest on the Sheffield's Gems podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Excel City Apartments, a brand founded in Sheffield that provides fully furnished self-catering accommodation for business and leisure visitors to the city and the nearby Peak District National Park. We also accommodate families relocating to Sheffield City region. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do listen to other episodes by following our podcast on this platform. Or you can find us on Twitter at Excel Property P, that's the letter P. And on LinkedIn, the business page is Excel City Apartments. Until the next time, ta-ra.